think the whole idea of like it's okay that you know there's this voice and there's these thoughts and it's not like we have to shut them out or tell them to stop or or any of that it's just asking the question like why do we do that and every time we do that then we are either trying to explain the world to ourselves we're trying to make sense of reality we're trying to give ourselves a bit of comfort or yeah just explain our surroundings but that takes us away from just being in the present. Mm, yeah. We've talked about awareness a lot on the podcast and a lot of different like contexts and mm-hmm. presence as well. And I think that awareness and presence are two just like key components to living, you know, an amazing life. I feel like awareness of your thoughts in this case but also awareness of the things that are going on around you and the people around Hey friends, it's Nicole and Kate, your girls from across the globe, Sydney, Australia, and Puerto Rico to be exact, and we're so excited to be sharing this time with you. I'm Kate. And I'm Nicole, and welcome back to another Candid Conversation with us. Each week, we bring you a new conversation about a topic that we can relate to. We share our own experiences and thoughts in the hopes that you'll realize that one, you're not alone, and two, that open and honest convos can lead to awesome discoveries, shifts in perspectives, and energy to move ahead with confidence. Because that's what real friends do. They provide love, support, and space for one another to share without judgment, speak without hesitation, and to learn from each other, even when we don't agree. And with that, let's dive in. Hi, Nicole. Hello, Kate. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning to you. <laughs> You're trying to wake me up, right? <laughs> Your little cuckoo clock over here. <laughs> I am feeling a bit cuckoo-y this morning. Yeah, you said you had a like a late night last night or just a long day? Or It was, it was a long day yesterday. First call started at 7. Last call ended at 7. Not that oh I worked goodness. 12 hours straight. I had a little bit of right. uh, breather in between, ducked out to do a yoga class, which was nice. But um, it was a really long day, which meant we ate quite late, which meant I mm. went to bed later than normal. So, yeah, that sounds very full on. Anything that stretches 12 hours and span like that, it doesn't really matter how many breaks you have in between. That's a lot. Yeah, I was very tired when I went to bed last night. So I kind of pushed my alarm right to the (laughs) last possible moment. (laughs) And then as I was sharing with you, my alarm went off when I was like mid very vivid dream. And so you're always a little (laughs) bit discombobulated. Totally. But you're here. I'm here. (laughs) And you're here for a very intense combo that we're going to have today, which I know both of us are very excited about. We're going straight into philosophy today. (laughs) Yes, today's topic is going to be a discussion on the book, The Untethered Soul. And this is definitely not the first time you've heard Nicole and I mention this book. Nicole, you first read this book several months ago, and I believe it's the only book that you've ever read twice. Is that accurate? I think it is. I don't think I read books more than once. And this is the first one I read twice. And when I got to the last page, I went right back to the beginning instantly. You're reading it a third time? No, 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 no. That second time. The second time was like, I I finished it. Wow. (laughs) Well, I kind of feel like in preparation for our chat about it, I've revisited chapters. So I guess I am reading it in some ways for the third time. But yeah, first time ever. I know that you read books twice. 
Oh, all the time. And thirds and fourths and fifths. <laughs> when I find a good book, I'm, I have no problem reading it over again, especially if like years have passed. But this has been kind of a short time frame for you. And I remember after the first time you read it, the way that you talked about this book and how profound an impact it has had on you, I absolutely had to pick it up. And I'm so glad that I did. Actually, after I picked it up and started reading it, I thought, Maybe I have tried to read this book before, but I gave up <laughs> quite early on <laughs> because honestly, the reading is quite confusing at times. There are so many topics that are bigger than life, you know, concepts, ideas, things just out there that I couldn't quite grasp and bring down to my brain. <laughs> it gave me so much to think about, but I think that's the whole point of the book. And so I'm very excited to dive into this convo today. Me too. And I know that sometimes I think it's not a bad thing to read something that's a little bit maybe beyond you and to just really stick with it. Mm -hmm. I think there is there's value in that because I think most of the time we just decide to give up or I'm not ready for this or I don't get this. I don't know. Someone once told me that it was like a little piece of life advice. It's like you might be getting stuck into something, reading something that you're not quite getting and it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely glad that the second time around I stuck with it. If it wouldn't have been for your high, high recommendations and us talking about discussing it on the podcast, I don't know that how I would have made my way back to it. So I count this as a totally meant to be scenario. And I'm really glad that I dove back in. And I think that what would be cool for today's discussion is maybe just to bring up like a few of the bigger ideas that were maybe standouts for us. Um, I know you and I have already had a couple conversations that we just couldn't hold ourselves back from these offline, you know, you mentioning something about the book and maybe it was a part that I had just read and we kind of got off on little tangents and stuff. So, I mean, I think it would be fun to just kind of talk about some of those bigger ideas. I know that for both of us, not all of the ideas in the book, as, as I just mentioned, are really ones that we've like sorted, you know, they're kind of still these, I'm not really sure what to make of this. I'm still yes. thinking about this. You had mentioned a couple parts that, you know, reading them the first time they were totally, I mean, not over your head, but just kind of not really something that you were like, okay, I get this. And then the second time it was a little bit different experience for you. Mm. So what was kind of, maybe one of the first things in the book, or like, if you just think back to it, if you were describing to someone like this was one of my biggest takeaways from the book, what would that be? Yeah, I think like, in terms of describing this book, because I have and I try to hold myself back a little bit when I am, you know, when you're really excited about something, you're really into something and you want to tell the world about it. I kind of catch myself a little bit in not being too too insistent absolute absolute <laughs> and say you've got to read this book it changed my life and it will change yours like it's, that's a bit intense right but <laughs> but that's how I feel right and I think that's why it's come up so many times in our conversations because we talk about it and we can share these things quite openly and candidly um, and hence why we're here so the untethered soul the subtitle is the journey beyond yourself so the first thing that hit me about this book was I had never thought about 
the voice inside the head that never stops talking. Mm-hmm. And so for people who've probably had an awareness of that or thought about that or you know already know of this idea, it's like, okay, great. But when it's the first time that you uh, become aware of that voice that never stops talking, it's a moment where you're like, oh, whoa, this is intense. And it really does happen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, essentially when you're not talking to someone in a conversation and you are literally the one speaking or you're like very engrossed and focused in like a project or something, it's always there. Like I even find in conversations when I'm the one listening, it's happening. (laughs) The voice is always saying something about like either what the person is saying or what I thought was me trying to process that. And yeah. yeah. And I mean, honestly, the first time it dawned on me when I read it, I had to just kind of stop and I won't say like it kind of unsettled me, but there was this unsettling feeling. But then as you read on in the chapter, you learn to kind of question it and it becomes like this kind of playful uncovering of like, why is this voice there? What is it saying? You know, why do we all have it? Because we all have that voice that just doesn't stop chattering. And we think about like moments when you're in the shower or when you're cooking. And like you said, if you're not immersed, if you're not listening to something, if you're not watching something, if you're not immersed in an activity, you will catch yourself hearing that voice. So once you digest the fact that we all have this voice going on, then as he explains, the author, Michael A. Singer explains, the next big idea is that, well, if you are hearing that voice, then you are the subject observing, listening And therefore, you're not that voice because you're hearing it. That's the next big idea off off that. Yeah, that was probably one of the bigger things for me. And and this is kind of how he opens up the book, right? And this is, to me, the first very like philosophical thing that he dives into is saying uh, one of his lines is, there's nothing more important to true growth then realizing that you are not the voice of the mind, you are the one who hears it. So he brings up this whole idea of this awareness, this consciousness that you're talking about. And, you know, up until that point, I thought, and, and maybe you did, and I'm sure a lot of people think that is you mm. saying all of those things. But to kind of have this different take on it where, According to the author, that's not what it is. It's separate. You are separate from that. You are not your thoughts. And that really resonated with me because that is something that I've kind of heard in other teachings, things that I've read, maybe podcast episodes on like really heavy mindset stuff. Mm -hmm. But to bring it kind of into this world of like him talking about the self yeah. Just not what you've always thought of the self, bringing up the question of like, who are you and yeah. and all of that stuff. I mean, it got really deep really fast, <laughs> but I, I do really like that idea. And I think probably the most concrete way that I like wrapped up that section of it is just that you are not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And if you consider that throughout any given day, 
every time that something's going on inside of your head to be able to use that awareness, that consciousness and say, that is not my self. (laughs) That is me observing thoughts that are not my, I am not that thought. Right. And he gives examples where, and we can probably all relate to this in the sense that those thoughts can sometimes argue and contradict and debate with each other. So it's like, I think he gives an example of someone heading to their wedding and saying, oh, this is so exciting. I'm marrying Tom. Oh, but maybe I shouldn't marry Tom. Maybe I'm not ready to marry Tom. No, (laughs) you should marry Tom because Tom is a great guy. And you know, this is the right, this is the right move. But what if I've made a, what if I'm making a big mistake? And it's like, wow, we do this. (laughs) Yes. Well, we we don't do it though, right? Like, no, no, we don't. (laughs) Something else does it and we observe it. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's quite empowering when you think about it to say, okay, I'm the subject and the object is or are these thoughts because then you have the, it's separation, right? Mm Mm-hmm then it's up to you how you deal with those things. They're not a part of you, so you can you can let them pass on. Right. And this has been something that I've struggled with for a long time at night when I wake up mm. and I have one of those spells where like my mind just starts going. Yes. And I always thought like, Kate, why do you do this? Like, why is my mind doing this? And after reading that section, I was thinking about it so much because I'm like, Okay, now I just, I, I, and I've done this. I'm not there yet. It still happens to me. I wake up in the middle of the night, I have all these thoughts going mm-hmm. through my head, arguing thoughts, counterproductive thoughts, like thoughts about things that aren't even like real threats. But of mm-hmm. course, my mind just wants to bring them up or whatever is bringing them up is bringing them up. <laughs> and yeah, to, to be able to say like, okay, I don't need to engage in that. Like, that's not me. Right. And I hear you. I've had those same thoughts. We've talked about the 3 a.m. waking up and all of those Mm -hmm. um, thoughts that start racing through your mind. And so what was powerful about that first chapter then and what kind of unlocks and why I guess I'm so excited and, you know, passionate about this book is because to get you out of that is to then come back to the awareness that you're observing those thoughts. Right. Coming back to the notion, oh, I'm hearing, I'm the one that's observing those thoughts. And as soon as you do that, that moment of awareness, that moment of consciousness gets you out of the racing thoughts. You've just latched onto those thoughts and let them just run away and you're running with them. But the second you come back to, oh, I'm observing those thoughts, I'm hearing those thoughts, I'm the one that notices those thoughts. Then you've got that detachment, like you said, you've got that moment of pause. Yeah. And you can kind of stop with the racing. Yeah. If that makes sense. And so I thought that was hugely powerful. Yeah, that was definitely a standout to me. Again, this was the part when I read it the first time that I was like, I'm lost. I don't understand why you're asking me who I am. And I can't tell you anything about me because you say that's not who I am. (laughs) And that whole thing, which I know was another part that we've talked about, uh, kind of this question of who am I? And he he sort of challenges you to go through this exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much where I stopped last time. And so I never really got to this part about 
the voice in your head and that separation and you are not your thoughts. So yeah, definitely. I agree. Very profound. So what did you, speaking of that question, who am I? What did you think of that part? I still had trouble with it the second time around, by the way, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Okay. So when, when he takes you through the exercise of giving examples, if someone were to ask you, who am I, what would you say? And he gives an example of someone saying, oh, I'm Sally Smith. And then he breaks it down as letters, S-A-L-L-Y, so on. Are you a collection of letters? Oh, no, I'm not a collection of letters. I'm Sally Smith. I'm Frank Smith's wife and I'm 45 years old. And it's like, well, before you were married to Frank, were you still Frank Smith's wife? So he asks you to kind of play. He plays out this example of if you ask that question, what is your answer? That's what was so confusing to me because (laughs) I was like, I would have answered everything pretty much how Sally did. (laughs) But he challenges that in the sense that um, at one point, Sally Smith, for for the sake of the example, says, I'm 45 years old. I'm five foot six. And so then his response is, okay, well, were you always five foot six? What about when you were 13 years old? you were four foot six. And so this idea of like, the more you get into trying to answer that, you're like, well, then am I just a collection of these labels, a name, someone's spouse, a job, a physical label of height, weight, whatever it is. And so that's okay. gets pretty messy, right? So did you like, I I don't really feel like I ever sorted this. Oh, even by the end. So do you feel like you kind of sort it? Like, how do you answer that? Who am I? Well, yeah, I feel I did. I feel that once you remove those labels, you realize, well, my understanding is that the best answer you can come up with is that you are you and it's always been you from the moment you came about into this world. Mm -hmm. And me is, is who am I? So all of these other things that are labels, um, descriptions are experiences, are those objects. They're the, they're the experiences that happen to us, whether it's getting a degree and therefore I am an engineer or you would still be you if you didn't get that degree, (laughs) if you didn't Mm. label yourself Mm. as an engineer. Uh, So I know it's a big idea, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It's It's very big. (laughs) but it followed that that initial chapter of understanding that separation of subject object i think the the easiest way i think he explained that was if you were looking at three objects a photograph a book a, a teacup and somebody said which one of those are you you would say i'm none of those things i can see that there's a book, a teacup, a photograph in front of me. So Mm. that idea of like, well, if I'm observing something that's in front of me, therefore I can't be that thing. And it goes back Mm. to if I am observing these thoughts, if I'm observing these uh, emotions or feelings that I'm having, then I can't, it's not that those things aren't real. It's not that I'm not really experiencing those thoughts and those feelings, but they are not me. Yeah. It's your observation, it's your observation of, of, of those, those things. things. Yeah. Okay. I guess I got that wrong, huh? Because 
he does talk about the, well, he talks about the, you are not your thoughts. And then the question of who am I not the other way around Mm. big stuff. Yes. Um, such a big idea. And later on in the book, he talks about this in terms of like emotions and feelings. And it reminded me when you said, it's not that you can't process those or feel those things, but it's the understanding that those aren't who you are. And he says later in the book, this is the root of self. You are not your thoughts. You are aware of your thoughts. You are not your emotions. You feel your emotions. You are not your body. You look at it in the mirror and experience this world through its eyes and ears. And that part really like that kind of brought a lot full circle for me because I was thinking some of the times you know, okay, I can separate myself from my thoughts and and understand that those are not me and that I'm observing those. However, that doesn't change the fact that those thoughts give me certain feelings or bring Mm -hmm. up certain emotions. And, you know, he has a whole other part in the book about that as well. And how, you know, letting thoughts pass through or dealing with past traumas and, and, and all of that, which was another really big takeaway for me of the book. But just that thought that you do feel your emotions. Nobody's trying to say that that you don't feel things or or right experience certain things. It's just separating yourself from those and knowing that 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 you feel that, but you are not that. Right, because the moment you have the awareness of that feeling, I feel anger right now. I feel jealousy. I feel whatever that feeling is. The moment you have the awareness that you're feeling it. It goes back to, well, if you are capable of observing that you're feeling that, then it's not you, which yeah. is like really <laughs> poor Michael. We're messing up his whole, I thought his book was actually very cleanly, plainly, simply written, but the ideas are so big that when you try to, you know, put them into your own words, it, it's a challenge. But hey, well, these like bigger philosophies have a way of making you feel like you're talking in circles (laughs) (laughs) in a major way. You say something and then you're like, I don't really know if that communicates anything to someone who hasn't read the 15 pages that I'm referring to. (laughs) So we haven't maybe outright said it or if we haven't outright said it. We do recommend you pick up this book. It's a (laughs) great book, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's life-changing. It really is. Um, But again, you have to, these concepts might not sit very comfortably or you might not understand them. And that's okay. I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. And I think as long as you go into something knowing that it's okay if I don't get it right away, but I might eventually or maybe on a second reading or maybe through a discussion or maybe just because the idea has been planted in my mind. As I go throughout my day, I might catch myself. A great example is when he talks about um, how we still coming back to this voice. It's like you step outside and the weather is cold. And so in your voice, in your mind says, oh, it's cold. And it's like, why do we do that? We know it's cold. How is that helpful? But we all do that, right? And yeah. then we might say, oh, but it's uh, just a few more minutes and then I'll get to my destination so I won't feel this cold anymore. So the reason why we actually step outside and say, oh, it's cold, but you know, I'm almost at the office and I won't feel this cold is that because we're trying to make ourselves feel better. 
It's yeah. kind of a, a comfort. It's an explanation. It's a zone. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think the whole idea of like, it's okay that, you know, there's this voice and there's these thoughts and it's not like we have to shut them out or tell them to stop or, or any of that. It's just asking the question, like, why do we do that? And every time we do that, then we are either trying to explain the world to ourselves. We're trying to make sense of reality. We're trying to give ourselves a bit of comfort or, yeah, just explain our surroundings. But that takes us away from just being in the present. Mm, yeah, We've talked about awareness a lot on the podcast and a lot of different like contexts and mm-hmm. presence as well. And I think that awareness and presence are two just like key components to living, you know, an amazing life. I feel like awareness of your thoughts in this case, but also awareness of the things that are going on around you and the people around you and Um, And presence, of course, you know, living in the moment and not always looking back into the past or always trying to look into the future. And a lot of that section where he's talking about how we are explaining the world to ourselves in an attempt to comfort ourselves, make ourselves feel like we're not in danger, you know, oh, okay, if my office is only a few minutes away, it's okay that it's cold. I'm not going to freeze to death type of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, just to, to wrap that bit up and I suppose again why why for me this book was so helpful that notion of awareness and you're not your thoughts or live in the moment I don't think I ever really got that until I read this book okay yeah so that I mean that's incredibly powerful right that changes how you see the world and how you live in the world right yes exactly So maybe I'm just a little bit late to the game, but I never got (laughs) some of those bigger concepts until now. Well, I think sometimes you have to see them in different ways. And I think that he has a really great way of doing that. And throughout this book, because he gives you examples that you can actually place yourself in, Mm. you can see yourself doing that. You remember times that you've done certain things or acted certain ways or felt certain ways in, in response to that voice in your head or to the feelings and emotions that you have or to being triggered by something that brings up a past trauma or any of those things. And kind of, I think by the end of the book, what I realized is that feeling that you talk about of like these being pretty big ideas and in a lot of ways that kind of making us uncomfortable, which for sure was the case for me subconsciously, maybe, but I put the book down. I was so Mm. uncomfortable about it. But he talks about that control and how important it is to understand that you don't have that control. That control is not yours. If you try and control every situation, then you're never, you're, you're losing, you're missing out on life. Yeah. Because you're using all of your time and energy trying to stay comfortable, trying to stay away from fear, trying to bottle up certain emotions and things and put them in little compartments so that they don't scare you or upset you or any of these things. And if that's what you're spending all your energy doing, you're missing out on living life. Right. And that was like a really big like, oh, 
<laughs> okay, that's pretty huge. <laughs> that is huge. I thought about like some of the examples where like you might be angry with someone and I'm sure we all do this when we imagine telling that person off in our mind. We imagine having the conversation where this is when I'm going to, you know, give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to say this, that and the other and they're going to see my point of view. And it's, and it's just what you said. You have no control over how that conversation is going to go. Even if you do end up having that conversation, it's probably not going to go the way you spent however long in the shower, washing the dishes, having that conversation in your mind and living in that conversation instead of being just focused and being present and missing out on what's around you because you're living in your mind. You're living in that conversation. That's just an yeah. example. But I was like, that's very relatable. Um, and how often we do this. And mm-hmm. it is such a waste of energy because that conversation hasn't happened. You have no control whether you're even going to see that person again and, and lay into them like you really wanted to and tell them off like you really wanted to. So what's the point? So that's a great, that's a big idea. And at the end of the day, if you do ever uh, accomplish that and you tell the person off, then what? Like (laughs) your life is magically better for that? Probably not. (laughs) Right. In a lot of cases, you know, it damages a relationship. Like, you know, it's all a snowball. Yeah. I think one of the parts in the book that really like nailed this for me, he said, the the alternative is to decide not to fight with life. The alternative to like all of those things that I just mentioned about like trying to compartmentalize things, stay comfortable, all of these things. So the alternative to doing that is to decide to not fight with life. You realize and accept that life is not under your control. Life is continuously changing. And if you're trying to control it, you'll never be able to fully live it. And I think for me, that was kind of just like a, wow, I couldn't, I highlighted it, like highlighted it, highlighted it, highlighted it. (laughs) If I had like seven different highlighters, I would have done, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Bold, italics, underline, all the things. (laughs) Um, Because I feel like, you know, that really hits home for me because I do see in myself that I do that a lot. Mm. And again, this goes back to the idea of awareness. And when you read about these ideas, even if you don't fully grasp them in the beginning, the fact that you're becoming aware of them and being able to see maybe some of these things in yourself that you do, then being able to change that. And that's like a beautiful thing about this book in particular. I feel like both of us had so many takeaways and you know, it would be impossible for us to talk about all of them here. I know we've barely scratched the surface in the conversation that we've had today, but hopefully our listeners see that just from the few things that we've shared today, that this book is really impactful and that they'll want to pick it up too, if they haven't already. Yeah, absolutely agree. There are so many other ideas we could explore. And like you said, it's, even if you don't grasp it, any, everything, um, these are ideas you can, have a conversation with a friend, even trying to answer that question, who am I? It's fun. If you take it with lightness, it doesn't have to be like so serious. I know that, you know, we kind of preface this conversation as this big philosophical, big ideas, and it almost feels weighty. I do like that in the book, there's a lightness to it. There's very relatable examples and you can approach it with a lightness and fun 
just entertain these questions and see what happens. Have, you know, yeah. a chat with someone, with a friend and, and see where it goes. You may not end up somewhere like, you know, having the full answer, but it's just an exploration. And ultimately I feel it's very, it's very liberating. It's very freeing. And I think this is why I'm so passionate about, you know, some of the understandings that I've gotten from it because I do feel, yeah, a little bit freer. Mm. Well, I'm certainly glad that you felt that way about the book because it encouraged me to pick it up and read it. And then we've gotten to have loads of wonderful discussions about it. And I know we'll continue to do so. So thank you so much for that, Nicole. And as we close out today's chat, friends, on the Untethered Soul, we hope that you've picked up a thing or two you can carry with you today and moving forward to give you that extra boost of confidence and support when you need it most. And friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you have a friend in mind who might also enjoy our chats, share the podcast with them too. Send them to canrelatepodcast.com or have them search Nicole and Kate Can Relate on their favorite podcast app. Until next time.